What's very interesting, I got a call from Christy Aguirre, who's actually here. Um, she's in her last year of souls, and she had an experience selling books here, and it was connected to one of our church members. So I'm going to invite Christy Aguirre to come up to the front, and she's going to share from this mic. This is actually an experience that one of my students had this summer. Um, her name is Mickey, and we were in Chowchilla, or she was in Chowchilla, I wasn't there, but she was, and she was knocking on doors, and she met this family, and she showed them, in the back of our cookbooks, we show them that we work with the famous Blue Bible stories, you know, the Uncle Arthur stories. She showed that to them, and they got really excited and invited her inside, and she told them that she was Seventh-day Adventist, and they got really excited, and they said, we love Seventh-day Adventists. We're not Seventh-day Adventists, but we love them. Wait a minute. You went to a door, or your friend went to a door, and they said they love Seventh-day Adventists? Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> of course, she got really excited, because we don't get that a lot at doors. It's, we don't get that a lot all the time. But um, she, the family went on to tell her that... One of the family members had cancer, or they were sick, and they love Seventh-day Adventists because of their doctor who works in Turlock. And she said, you do? Why, why is that? And they told her that every time that they would come in to get a checkup or whatever it was, that the doctor would pray for them and just see how they were doing. He would not only minister to them physically, but spiritually as well, making sure that they were good. And she asked them, like, well, who's the doctor? And they said, our doctor is Dr. Holm. Dr. Ed Holm. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have anybody here by that name. It's probably Modesto Central. <laughs> Do we have Dr. Holm here? Yes. Dr. Holm, can you stand up? It was such a blessing for her to see um, that we, we were ministering to people at, you know, during the summer as students. But wherever we are, whether we're a doctor or a teacher, we can be sharing Jesus with people. And it made such a big difference for that family. You know, they love our church because of one person, because of Dr. Holmes' ministry in the, in the medical field. And they ended up getting a steps to Christ um, as well. So that was such a blessing to see that our work here, wherever we are in our various lines, we can share um, the gospel with others. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Christy. And here's something to remember, church family. Anytime you're witnessing, no matter how far you get with that person, it's this journey that God has that person on. And every time you minister in some way, God is using you to take that person one step further. And they actually bought a book, too, as well, that has our literature in it. So thank you so much for being a servant of the Lord. And by the way, that's the highest compliment you can receive. Amen? Remember what Jesus says? What? When you come into heaven, what are the words that he says to you? Well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. And I want that to be said about me. Do you want it to be said about you? Amen. Amen. Well, church family, we're going to be jumping into our Bible, and we're also going to be having an unusual kind of sermon today. And we're going to be getting into some things that I believe God wants to use to strengthen our faith. Praise the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, or iPod, or iPad, or whatever it is you have, and I was telling this to the people at the convention, praise the Lord, the Bible is the only device that doesn't need an upgrade, right? In fact, it upgrades the user. And it's time to pray for an upgrade. Amen? All right, let's pray, church family. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for Sabbath morning. And right now, we just want to bask in your glory. Thank you so much for your faithfulness that surrounds you, for your mercy that is new every morning. Lord, we just thank you for giving us insight into your plans, into the things that you have for us. And Lord, we want to be better Christians because of what you have done for us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, church family, the name of the sermon today is called the what? The prophetic vision. And by the way, I was just thinking about this. I was actually at a convention a few Sabbaths ago, and what they did for Sabbath morning, they actually had a court trial. You're like, where were you? I was actually at a convention. It was called Army Bible Camp. And they had a court trial Sabbath morning. They actually had a judge, and they had three prosecutors. They were all the pastors. And what they did is they questioned Seventh-day Adventists on their beliefs, and they invited whoever wanted to to come up front and see if they could answer the question. However, 
the prosecutors were allowed to badger the witness. I think this would be good for us to have one Sabbath morning. What do you guys think? And you know who I already think would make a good judge? Scott Went, right? Okay, well, we'll just keep praying about that. All right. As I said before, the name of the sermon is called The Prophetic Vision. Now I'm going to ask you a question, church family. I want you to take a good look at this verse found in Proverbs 28, verse 18. I'm going to start off by asking you a question. What does this verse mean? And after you read it, please raise your hand if you would like to take the challenge. What does this verse mean? We haven't even started the court trial yet. You guys aren't raising your hand. What does this verse mean? Okay, Millie? Millie, I want you to know if you're wrong, you're in big trouble, but go ahead. Well, where there is no revelation. A a revelation is revealing something. And so where there's no revelation, the people have no restraint. They're cast off. There's no restraint. Uh, But happy is he who keeps the law. So if God has revealed to you the truth in this church or what's in the Bible, you're going to be very happy if you follow what he has had. Okay, good try, Millie. Very good. I'm not saying she's wrong. I just said she did, she did well for trying. Anybody else? All right. What do you mean that's not the right one? What's the right verse? What's, what's 2818? Where's that verse found? 2918. It's part of the test. Part of the test. Good. You're passing the test. Passing the test. Very good. I appreciate a congregation like that. There's all sorts of tests you don't know about. Vitalia, what do you think? You were going to correct me too. Okay, anybody else? What does this verse mean? Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Chris Nelson, all right. Sherry Nelson. I can't hear you either. Go ahead. Okay, it says, When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Okay, very good. Very good. Anybody else? One more person. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Jan. Okay, very good. Jan, you're the last hope for this congregation. Lord, help me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my version says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. So vision and revelation is, if you don't have a goal in sight, and um, you have nothing to work towards. And by keeping the law, it gives you a purpose and a goal to work toward. Very good. Very good. All of you, I believe, were absolutely correct. Here's the thing to understand about this verse. It's a very interesting verse. I was preparing my sermon earlier in the week, and the Lord really led me to this verse, and it says this. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, the word revelation, as some of you guys stated, is the word vision or prophecy. In other words, where there is no prophetic perspective, it leads to lawlessness. Whenever the prophetic perspective is not kept before the people, in other words, where we are living in earth's history, why we are living in earth's history, and what God is calling us to do in this time of earth's history, is that if that is not kept before his people, we will cast off restraint. In other words, it will lead us to this type of apathy or complacency about our spiritual lives. And so here God is wanting to admonish his people and he is leading them to always keep before them the prophetic guidance that has been given to his people. Can you say amen to that? All right, everybody, take your Bible. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. We're going to understand more about this movement God has called us to be a part of, and we're going to make sure that our answer comes from Scripture about this particular movement right now. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And by the way, it says in Matthew chapter 24, when false prophets rise up, they actually bring about lawlessness. So genuine prophets will do quite the opposite, which would be what? To a keeping and obedience to God's law. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Are we all there? Look what the Bible says right here. This is describing the situation and the devil's motivation behind the whole Mark of the Beast scenario. Revelation 12, verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the who? The woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her what? 
offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus. Jesus said this about himself. He said in John chapter 15, I have kept my father's commandments. And so at the end of time, the devil aims his sniper rifle upon those who are like Jesus. They have the same mission of Jesus. They are keeping the commandments and they are trying to reveal to the world the father's character. The Bible actually describes in Revelation chapter 12, Satan. Satan is the dragon. However, you also find in Revelation chapter 12, when Satan is using deception, he is depicted as a serpent. But when he is using force, he is depicted as a fire-breathing dragon. And so at the end of time, when Satan is targeting the remnant or the rest of the offspring of the woman, he portrays himself as a forceful dragon, or God portrays him as a forceful dragon. Why? Because he is seeking to do by force what he could not do by manipulation. In fact, take a good look at this right here in Revelation 12, verse 17. This is where that phrase, the remnant, comes from. You have the New King James Version right there, and the dragon was enraged with the who? The woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the what? testimony of Jesus. What two characteristics are part of that rest of the offspring? They what? Keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus. In fact, look at the King James Version. And the dragon was wroth with the woman. He went to make war with the what? Remnant of her seed. That is where the word remnant comes from. The New King James Version just translated as rest of the offspring or what's remaining which keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus. So where Satan or who Satan targets the most at the end of time are those who keep the commandments of God and have the what? Testimony of Jesus. That's extremely important, ladies and gentlemen. Because if we're looking for a group, a remnant God is calling us to be a part of, they must possess those two characteristics or they're not the remnant. They must keep the commandments of God and they have the what? Testimony of Jesus. Well, why the commandments of God? These people are seeking to be obedient to God. And so the devil is targeting them. They are trying to be like Jesus. Why the testimony of Jesus? Well, the first question we better ask ourselves is a common question. What in the world is the testimony of Jesus? Praise the Lord. The scripture interprets the scripture. Amen? Take a good look in Revelation 19 verse 10. And this is John writing right here. And I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do it not. John came to the end of his vision with his accompanying angel. He was so blown away, he began to fall down at the feet of this angel. The angel said, no, 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 don't you do that. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Well, we talked about the testimony of Jesus. Look what he says. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the what? Spirit of what? prophecy. Now notice this. When you go back to Revelation chapter 12 verse 17, the dragon is angry with those who keep the commandments of God and have the what? Genuine spirit of prophecy. They have a legitimate prophetic understanding. Now that's important. Because anytime God did something big in the Old Testament, he would always send a prophet. Wouldn't he? And right before God freed the children of Israel out of Egypt, he sent who? Moses, right? Right before the children of Israel were about to go into captivity, he sent who? Jeremiah. Right before they were about to be freed from captivity, he sent Daniel the prophet. Right before Jesus came the first time, he sent John the Baptist. Anytime God is about to do something big, he always sends a what? A prophet. In fact, when you take a good look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if we are looking for a body of believers that are following the truth, ladies and gentlemen, part of the gifts of the body would be the legitimate gift of prophecy. And if that body of believers does not possess the legitimate gift of prophecy, then that's not the remnant. Does that make sense, yes or no? We are not talking about individuals. We are talking about a movement. If that movement does not have a legitimate gift of prophecy, ladies and gentlemen, then the whole structure falls apart. It's the linchpin. 
part of what God would be doing in these end times, he would be prophetically guiding his people. And if that movement does not possess that gift, then that's not the movement you want to be a part of. But when you take a good look at the Seventh-day Adventist church, it is not a perfect church, but it fulfills every criteria of the remnant. It would be a worldwide movement. It would have a legitimate prophetic gift. It would be attempting to keep the Ten Commandments and upholding the biblical standard. If one of these criteria fail, the whole structure falls apart. Are we tracking yes or no? It is that important for you, ladies and gentlemen, to understand. If one of these things are wrong, the entire structure falls apart. And this is what we need to understand. Whether or not the Seventh-day Adventist church does meet this criteria, and that is the genuine gift of the spirit of prophecy. Around the 1800s, when there were a group of people who were seeking after the Lord, God began to give the most unusual, startling visions to a young woman at the age of 17. Her name was Ellen White. One of the remarkable things about this woman is that she is considered the most widely translated author. There is some dispute between her and a communist writer right now. I think it's Vladimir something. And she is considered, besides that, though, definitely the most widely translated woman author and is contending right now for the spot of being the most widely translated author in the entire world. She had a third-grade education, yet what she wrote, over 10,000 pages, have guided the Seventh-day Adventist movement. She wrote books on health, books on family, books on religion, books on spiritual growth, books on how to be the best person that you can be for these times that we are living in. Can you say amen to that? These books have blessed so many people, and what's so remarkable is this is that these books have not just touched the Seventh-day Adventist church, but they have touched the entire world. You know, a lot of people ask the question, is there going to be another prophet? Well, Joel chapter 2, verse, uh, I believe it's 28, tells us there's going to be prophets in the end times. But look what Ellen White says right here. Abundant light has been given to our people in these what? Last days. Whether or not my life is spared, my writings will constantly what? Speak. And their work will go forward as long as time shall what? Last. Now that's extremely important to understand. She is saying that even though her life should be taken, those writings will continue to speak all the way to the time of the second coming. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no purpose in again trying to look for another prophet if we're not being faithful to the light that's already been given to us. Can you say amen to that? Look what she says right here. My writings are kept on file in the office, and even though I should not live, these words that have been given to me by the Lord will still have life and will speak to the people. That was written about 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, and those writings continue to shape this church, and God has blessed this church to make it the fastest-growing movement in the United States today. And this is not to add any glory or to give us any pride. But God wants us to understand that when we're looking to be part of this movement that is taking the gospel to the entire world, this must play into the equation. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. You have a story of Moses. And Moses was, he was attacked, you could say, or spoken about by his sister and his brother. What were their names, ladies and gentlemen? Miriam and what? And Aaron, and do you remember what Miriam was saying about Moses? What was he attacking about Moses? His wife, because she was what? Huh? She was dark-skinned. Now, why is that very important? Because when God deals with Miriam, he curses her with leprosy that made her skin white as snow. God was telling her, if, this, if Aaron, Moses' wife's going to be a little too dark for you, then you're going to be a little too white for this campus. And she actually had to leave the camp for seven days struck with leprosy. God intentionally allowed that to come upon her to teach her a lesson. They were questioning Moses' prophetic leadership. God said this about Moses in Deuteronomy 34 verse 10. Since then there has not what? Arisen in Israel a prophet like who? 
Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, pay attention to those key words, not arisen. You find the exact same thing said about John the Baptist. Jesus speaking about John the Baptist, he says this, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not what? Not risen one greater than John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist had another title. He was called the messenger of the what? The Lord. The messenger of the Lord. Ellen White says some remarkable things about her writings right here. Those who boldly assume that they are prophets in this day are often a reproach to the cause of Christ. My work includes much more than that name, this name signifies. I regard myself as a messenger entrusted by the Lord with messages for his people. My commission embraces the work of a prophet, but it does not end there. It embraces much more than the minds of those who have been sowing seeds of unbelief can comprehend. Now this is very important. You find similar language being said about each particular person. Moses, John the Baptist, and Ellen White. I'm going to ask you a question right now. What do those three have in common? Moses, John the Baptist, and Ellen White. Yeah, yeah we know they're prophets, but a little bit more than that. Joe McPio. Okay, very good. They all point to Jesus. If they ain't pointing to Jesus, they're not a real prophet. Okay, anybody else? Okay, they were messengers of the Lord. Okay, anybody else? They were all called. Okay, tell me something that I didn't say so far. Ethan, say a little louder. Very good, very good. Do you guys hear what Ethan said? They came about during a time of change for God's people. God used Moses to lead the people out of the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God used John the Baptist to prepare the people for the, second, for the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, what is so remarkable is that Ellen White came during a time when the Adventist church was coming together and deciding, how do we proceed from here? God used these leaders as beginners of powerful movements that would change the world. But you want to know what else they have in common? All three of them never saw the promises fulfilled. Moses led the people of Israel to the promised land, but he himself never went in. John the Baptist prepared the whole, all of Israel for the first coming of Jesus Christ. But guess what? He himself didn't witness a single miracle except for the dove. Ellen White preached about the second coming and got the whole church stirred up about the second coming, but she died before she could see the second coming. But what is also very interesting is these three also led God's people to a greater understanding of the sanctuary. Moses, the sanctuary on earth. You have G John the Baptist pointing to the Lamb of God. Then you have Ellen White's ministry also pointing to the heavenly sanctuary. Step by step, God was leading his people back to those truths that we need to understand for these times. What is so interesting about Ellen White, a lot of people say, well, what's the purpose of this prophet? Number one, to bring back people back to the word. Can you say amen to that? She was the lesser light to lead to the greater light. And by the way, a false prophet would be shooting himself in the foot if he was trying to exalt the scriptures over his writings. Why would he be shooting himself in the foot? Because the Bible would expose him. He would be shooting himself in the foot. This is very important to understand, ladies and gentlemen. If we are looking for a legitimate gift of prophecy, they need to be uplifting the scriptures. Amen? Number two, they would point people to Jesus for salvation. Teaching the righteousness by faith message found in scripture. False religions would always lead people outside of that understanding. Number three, they would vividly impress truths of revelation already revealed. God would be using these writings like a telescope to look at the stars. Not that they're new stars, but to bring us into a greater focus of those present truths. To call us to holy Christian living. God would use these writings to refine his people, to sanctify his people, to lead them into a closer walk with him. And this point is for us to understand, ladies and gentlemen... People will say, wait a minute, what about the Bible versus the spirit of prophecy? I just need this. I want you to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. If the spirit of God inspired this woman, we are not rejecting a woman. We are rejecting the spirit of God to us. I mean, this is just common sense. When we are rejecting and we just say, well, it's not important. I have the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the spirit of God that inspired this woman. 
And if the Spirit of God inspired this woman, then these messages are meant for us. And in rejecting that, we would be rejecting what the Spirit of God is trying to do for us. Let's continue. To help us better understand present truths, magnifying those truths that are found in the Scriptures, to shield us from error that would come into God's church in the last days. And unless you think you're smarter than Satan, ladies and gentlemen, you need these writings. Amen? Because I'm not smarter than the devil. And I need to understand God's words in these last days. And this lesser light to point me to the greater light is what I need for my spiritual life. Here are some particular peculiar points about Ellen White. During her ministry, oh, sorry. During her ministry, Ellen G. White wrote more than 100,000 pages, a total of more than 25 million words. The text most often referred to in Ellen White's writings is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. She mentions it 264 times. The text refers to Christians as the what? Light of the what? World. One of Ellen White's favorite hymns was Wind Peace Like a River. What song is that, by the way? It is well with my soul. Ellen White's favorite dishes were baked corn souffle, tomatoes, and macaroni. Not the craft kind of macaroni, though. And tiny mustard greens cooked. Ellen, Ellen White's last known writing is a letter entitled The Victorious Life. She wrote this letter June 14, 1914, and you may read it in her book, Testimonies to Minister. This letter is a message overflowing with hope and assurance for Christians. Can you say amen to that? She was a lover of animals. Do you like animals? So did she. Author I wrote that she knew how to feed and treat animals with affection. She abhorred any practice that brought pain or discomfort to animals, and she had firm words of disapproval, disapproval for anyone who misused a horse or abused a cow. And that includes cow tipping, amen? I know who's responsible. Okay. Grace White, actually, she was a granddaughter of Ellen White, stated that Mrs. White was a buoyant person. Never did we feel under a strain or stress in her presence. She had deep blue gray eyes that were kind and alert, and she looked at us with love. And ladies and gentlemen, if the Spirit of God was in that woman, that would definitely be the fruit of the Spirit right there. Jesus gave a defining mark of whether to know what a prophet was genuine or false. Look what he says right here. Pay attention to Scripture. Beware of false what? Prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their what? Fruits. That's important. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying right here. You will know them by their what? Fruits. Oftentimes, if you're not aware of what a seed is and it is planted, what eventually will reveal what kind of fruit that is? If seeds are planted and you don't know what kind of crop that is, what do you have to wait for till it comes? Maybe I'm just saying this wrong. <sighs> and I think I said it wrong. I apologize. Forgive me. Time. Time reveals something about this. Jesus is saying it is when the fruit is there that you're able to see whether or not it was good fruit. That's important, ladies and gentlemen. Because when you take a good look at all other so-called prophets, you find many times they will impact the movement within they are, are doing their prophecy to. But a genuine biblical prophet will actually have an impact upon the entire world. When you take a good look at the ministry of Moses, even Jethro knew about what Moses was doing. When you take a good look at John the Baptist, you have the centurions that were coming to him, King Herod. When you take a good look at John the Baptist, Herod and Pilate and other Gentiles wanting to know more about God through the ministry of Jesus or one of these prophets. So a genuine biblical prophet will have an effect upon the entire world. Now wait for what I'm going to show you. It's going to be super powerful, ladies and gentlemen. And that is this. Prophetess, messenger of the Lord, Adventist prophet, spirit of prophecy, SOP, sister White, Mrs. White, E.G. White, E.G. White, Auntie Ellen, you name it. This woman has been addressed by many names and titles that a new language could be formed with all the distinct lingo. Adventists have known her through her writings, through her many books, through sermons, through studies, and through the fruits of her labor. But another question is, how did and how does the outside world perceive her writings? What happens when sincere, honest, non-Adventist folks come into contact with Ellen White? 
God sends prophets to his church for many reasons, but what about someone who was more than just a prophet? How does the world receive someone like that? Ladies and gentlemen, what I'm going to share with you are individuals who came across her writings who are well-respected in this world of education, of academics, and medical profession who were so blown away by those writings, it changed them. William Albright, by the way, he is considered one of the most respected archaeologists in all of evangelical Christianity. He has more PhDs than you can count on your hands and your toes. Was America's and perhaps the world's foremost archaeologist in the 20th century. He earned his PhD from John Hopkins University at the age of 25. PhD at the age of 25. And during the next 50 years, he received 25 honorary doctorates from colleges, universities, and seminaries of Protestant, Roman Catholic, and Jewish faith. He wrote more than 800 publications on archaeology, the Bible, and Eastern subjects. In the 1950s, one of his doctrinal candidates at John Hopkins, the late Alger Johns, introduced Albright to Ellen White's writings. His curiosity peaked. The famous archaeology undertook his own investigation of the life, work, and claims of Ellen White. And in his book, From Stone Age to Christianity, Albright names Mrs. White as one of five individuals whom he considered to be authentic prophets during the past 250 years. I actually had lunch with a Baptist pastor about a few weeks ago, and he was talking to me about archaeology and apologetics, and he said his favorite archaeologist was William Albright, and I was thinking to myself, well, I got something for you, brother. (laughs) This was Florence B. Stratmeyer. Does anybody know who she is? She was well-known. She is still well-known in the educational world for advanced concepts about curriculum development, about education. She was actually invited to speak before a group of teachers. And this is what she said. Not an Adventist. Recently, the book Education by Ellen G. White has been brought to my attention. Written at the turn of the century, this volume was more than 50 years ahead of its times. And I was surprised to learn that it was written by a woman with but three years of schooling. The breadth and depth of its philosophy amazed me. Its concepts of balanced education, harmonious development, and of thinking and acting on principle are advanced educational concepts. The objective of restoring a man the image of God, the teaching of parental responsibility, and the emphasis on self-control in the child are ideals that this world desperately needs. Look what she says in her speech. Mrs. White did not necessarily use current terms. In fact, she did not use the word curriculum in her writing. But the book Education in Certain Parts treats of important curriculum principles. She was concerned with the whole learner, the whole learner, the harmonious development of mental, physical, and spiritual powers. Today, many of our stressing... Today, many are stressing the development of the intellect, but feelings and emotional development are equally important. In our changing society, the ability to act on thought and in terms of principle is central. It is this harmonious development that is so greatly needed, yet so generally neglected today. I am not surprised that members of the SDA church hold the writings of Mrs. White in great respect and make them central in developing the educational program in their schools. Can you say amen to that? In fact, this was a... um, He was a director of Japan's education department. All of Japan's education department. I'm not going to even attempt to pronounce... Maybe Akira, can you help me out? How do you pronounce that name? Okay, that's right. Um, Okay, yeah. Professor of Japan's Tamaga University and formerly head of Tokyo's Museum of Science and director of social education for the Japanese Ministry of Education, recommended education to parents, teachers, and students. He called it the most profitable reading in our understanding of new education. And if you don't speak, the rocks will. Amen? Amen. Education written with the inspired pen of Ellen White has for 50 years been a well-known book which has rendered the greatest possible service and joy to students, teachers, and parents of the world over. When I was studying at the University of Illinois, it was my privilege to read the book in its original language. I was profoundly moved by the book at that time, and it has been my desire ever since to recommend it to educators in Japan. It is my sincere joy to hear that the book has finally been translated in the Japanese language. Can you say amen to that? In fact, what is so funny is this story right here. The Minister of Education at a Southern European country, which will remain unnamed, has been studying 
at Teachers College, Columbia University. He had come to the U.S. for the best in educational policy and program of his newborn state. Upon his return to Southern Europe, he authored a work on religious and moral education. It was written in the Serbian language. Watch what happens. Published by the State University Press and acclaimed by that institution as the what? Best book on religious education in that language. Now watch this. When Adventist church leaders in Serbia read the book, they recognized it immediately. It was a translation of Ellen White's education with an introduction written by the Serbian minister of education. 80% of the new book came directly from Ellen White's writings. The brother plagiarized it, put his own name on it, and got famous because of it. The rocks will cry out, right? In fact, Paul Harvey was considered one of the most trusted journalists. He never became a Seventh-day Adventist, although near the end of his life he was attending the Saddleback Church, Saddleback Seventh-day Adventist Church in Arizona. In 1960, Paul Harvey, American Broadcasting Company, news commentator and United Feature syndicated columnist, wrote a 16-page article. <gasps> I need some water. Article featuring Ellen White. It began, Once upon a time, 100 years ago, there lived a young lady named Ellen White. She was frail as a child, completed only grammar school. Actually, she had never finished the third grade and had no technical training. Yet she lived to write scores of articles and many books on the subject of healthful living. Remember, this was in the days where doctors were still bloodletting and performing surgeries with unwashed hands. This was an era of medical ignorance bordering on barbarism. Praise the Lord. Thank you, brother. Yet Ellen White wrote with such profound understanding of the subject of nutrition that all but two of the many principles she espoused have been scientifically established. And by the way, this was several years ago, and since that time, those two have been dealt with. You go on to an Ellen White website, and the first thing will probably come up is a bunch of anti-LNG websites, and I'll tell you this, the majority of them will come by former Adventists. I want to say that one more time. The majority of anti-Ellen White websites will come from former Adventists. Generally speaking, most people, if they have a disagreement with those writings, don't care to spend long hours writing about Ellen White. However, these are the top five Arguments that are used in anti-Ellen White, White websites. Ellen White was a plagiarist. She did not believe in justification by faith. She's above the Bible, or she claimed to be above the Bible. Her visions were the result of a temporal lobe epilepsy. Ellen White's prophecies failed. And ladies and gentlemen, these things have been refuted over and over and over and over and over again. Primarily, the one thing that has been used by some people is saying, wait a minute, she was a plagiarist. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here's something to understand. The Seventh-day Adventist Church actually hired a lawyer. Now, we know about that story. And that lawyer checked out those writings and declared her innocent of plagiarism. But what we don't know is how the Roman Catholic lawyer was affected by studying out those writings. Look at this. Vince, uh, I'll try to read fast. Vincent L. Remick, a prominent and respected copyright attorney in Washington, D.C., noticed his power. In 1981, in the midst of newly reborn plagiarism charges, the General Conference Legal Office, the Office of General Counsel, used privately donated money to hire Remick to research the case law and the literary evidence to see whether Mrs. White was guilty of plagiarism, literary piracy, or copyright infringement. Remick, a Roman Catholic, spent some 300 hours reviewing cases and reading the literary evidence. In addition to examining the critic's case, he sampled what he called a great cross-section of her books, even reading the great controversy all the way through. On legal matters, he concluded, if I had to be involved in such a legal case regarding the charges of plagiarism, piracy, and copyright infringement against Ellen White, I would rather appear as defense counsel for Ellen White than for the prosecution. There simply is no case. The truth stands, amen? But what is so remarkable is what he says right here. The bottom line is, what really counts is the message of Mrs. White, not merely the mechanical writings or her words, clauses or sentences of Mrs. White. Theologians, I am told, distinguish here between verbal inspiration and plenary inspiration. Too many of the critics have missed the boat altogether, and it's too bad too. I personally, look what he says, a Roman Catholic, have been moved, deeply moved by those writings. And I have been changed by them. Can you say hallelujah? And I think I am a better man today because of them. 
And I wish that the critics could discover that. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God does this work. And we don't have to do it. And this is extremely important. I remember one time I was trying to convince his brother to make a decision for Jesus. And I was like, I just can't do this. I spent weeks trying to work on this. And I realized, I can't do this. One day he calls me up and he says, I'm getting baptized. I said, you're getting baptized? He's like, yeah, I want to get baptized. I said, what? And he says, I was reading a wonderful book on Steps to Christ and it showed me who Jesus was. And when it showed me who Jesus was, I couldn't deny this inevitable truth. And I want to follow him. Can you say amen to that, ladies and gentlemen? Praise the Lord. In fact, this is what one guy wrote who was at her funeral. Mrs. White early manifested some of the gifts of prophecy. Not a Seventh-day Adventist, by the way. With the formation of the Church of the Seventh-day Adventists, she immediately developed an influence. And that influence was maintained to the hour of her death, a period of 70 years. Besides unusual talents as a preacher, she had organizational and administrative powers. These were all given to her church. It prospered and grew until it grew, spread through many lands. Universities were founded, medical schools, hospitals, and schools for teachers and missionaries. Mrs. White was a remarkable woman. Had she lived in an earlier period of the career of Christianity and escaped the bigots and the fire, she would most certainly have been canonized. She was of the flesh of which saints are made. This came from someone who was not a Seventh-day Adventist, yet was so blown away by her ministry. Barna Group. This was actually released in 2005, and Barna Group is considered the most widely respected research group in Christian, um, you can say, facets and tenets. They came with this uh, survey, and this is what they found. Pastors under the age of 40, meanwhile, were more than twice as likely to mention books on prayer. Talking about the most influential authors. Only half as likely to include the purpose-driven life, and just one-sixth as likely to place the purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church, in their top-ranked volumes. In fact, while one-third of all pastors were over 40, uh, mentioned at least one book by Rick Warren, just 14% of those under 40 did so. The under 40 pastors championed several authors who were not ranked highly by older church leaders. These authors included business consultant James Collin, seminary professor Tom Rainer, 19th century Seventh-day Adventist icon Ellen White, and Pastor John Ortberg. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, in fact, I got text messages from some of you and uh, who are open out non-denominational churches. You show me their bookshelves, and there right there is the spirit of prophecy. Ladies and gentlemen, these seeds are planted all over the world, and as we share them, it will lead them closer and closer to Jesus, to the times that we are living in. God is calling our hearts to be open to what he is going to be doing, especially in these end times. 1965, a German sociologist, Ermgard Simon, published her doctrinal dissertation in Munster, Westphalia. It dealt with Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen White. She said in part, she was without fear of men, courageous and consistent. She struggled within the movement to solve the many problems. She, uh, she solved the problems which the church did not success, except, expect to see solved in many decades. Simon was unable to find adequate scientific expl- explanation for Ellen White's visions and remarkable experiences. She held the opinion that if Ellen White had been a Roman Catholic instead of a Seventh-day Adventist, she might very well be canonized in due course. In spite of her strong, yes, ecstatic union with God, she rarely lost ground of reality. On the contrary, she tackled many practical questions in life. Undoubtedly, it was the established fact of her mystic vision of God, which worked as a powerful radiance on her fellow believers, enabling her to be their leader without holding an official office in the church. She functioned as a messenger between God and the churches. Through her, the members had a part in the divine being. This explains the strong position E.G. White has won among Adventists. In spite of the high position, E.G. White never fell for the temptation other founders of various movements have done where they claimed to be elevated themselves above the weaknesses of human flesh, but was a servant and did not claim the honor that belongs to God. The Seventh-day Adventists still live on in the spirit of E.G. White, and only so far as this heritage lives on do the Adventists have a future. Can you say amen to that, ladies and gentlemen? The Spirit of God is the one who is behind this. In fact, what is so interesting, just take a good look at this. When you take a good look at what the book of Proverbs is saying, that anyone who speaks the Word of God brings health to the flesh. 
Look what it says. The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stubble. My son, give attention to the words, to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their what? Flesh. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise what? Promotes health. Proverbs 13, verse 17. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful ambassador brings what? Health. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and what? Health to the what? Bones. Ladies and gentlemen, when you take a good look in our world today, there are many so-called health movements that are happening. It has become a phenomenon on TV. Health movements are really radical right now. Has anybody ever seen one of these crazy food documentaries? Wow. Five people. But did you know right now, these health documentaries are shooting amongst the top when it comes to DVD rentals. People are interested in health. These documentaries have come out. There are people who have been blown away, have changed their lifestyle habits, and have been saved by just following some of these health revolutions these documentaries have been, promote, prom been promoting. Food Inc., Dive, King Corn, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead, which is about juicing, Forks Over Knives. You have these over and over again. These are coming out, and people are trying to discover better ways of living because they're realizing the way things have been going, it isn't helping them. Now, what is so remarkable is that Ellen White's writings, when God gave us those writings, it not only blessed the church, but it began to seed the world as well. You're saying, what do you mean by that? Here's Paul Harvey again talking, and essentially what he says right here. Look at the yellow lines. We accept the wisdom of such advice so completely that it is difficult to, for us to realize how revolutionary were her theories were almost a century ago. This is amazing because what you are looking at is some amazing things, and you'll find out that Ellen White's writings are actually tied in to many of these health revolutions. This is actually the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America. Originally published in September 2004, it covers the significant events, inventions, and social movements that have shaped the way Americans view, prepare, and consume food and drink. Entries range across historical periods and the trends that characterize them, from the extravagant feast of the Gilded Age to the diet fads of the 90s. This thoroughly updated new edition captures the shifting American perspective on food and ensures that this title is both the most authoritative and the most current reference work on American cuisine. And this book lists this man as a very influential man. That is not Colonel Sanders, that is John... Harvey Kellogg. He was an Adventist at one time until he apostatized from the church. But look what this says about him. No single individual influenced American eating habits during the early 20th century more than who? Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. He was revolutionary in his medical advancements. And we're going to find out his little secret in fact, look what this natural um, web health perspective website says. John Harvey Kellogg deserves more than any other person to be called the father of natural health. David Paulson actually interviewed him. And in about the year 1913, he reported a conversation that he had with Dr. John Harvey Kellogg a number of years earlier. Introductory to the following statement. It should be mentioned that in the late 19th century, John H. Kellogg, M.D., was recognized as a world leader in several areas of medical practice. Dr. Kellogg asked me in New York City 22 years ago if I knew how it was that the Battle Creek Sanitarium was able to keep five years ahead of medical profession. I do not know. Then he told me. He said that when a new thing is brought out in the medical world, he knew from his knowledge of the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White, whether it belonged in our system or no, not if it did. He instantly adopted it and advertised it while the rest of the doctors were slowly feeling their way. And when they finally adopted it, he had five years to start on them. And when the other, on the other hand, when the medical profession was swept off by their feet by some new fad, if it did not fit the light we had been received, he simply did not touch it. 
When the doctors finally discovered their mistake, they wondered how it came that Dr. Kellogg did not get caught. Ladies and gentlemen, when you begin to see his secret, you begin to realize these writings have influenced even the modern-day natural health movement. Clyde McKay, do you know who Clyde McKay is? He was, yeah, he's a biochemist, as you can see. He was an American biochemist, and I, and I don't blame you for not knowing more about him. But what is so interesting is where this leads. He was an American biochemist, nutritionist, and gerontologist, and professor of animal husbandry at Cornell University, 1927-1963. He was very revolutionary on his books about health at a time where his own colleagues were mocking him. He wrote the Cornell Bread Book and other notes on nutrition. This is what he says about the spirit of prophecy that revolutionized his research. In the first place, her basic concepts about the relation between diet and health have been verified in an unusual degree by scientific advances of the past decades. In the second place, everyone who attempts to teach nutrition can hardly conceive of a leadership such as that as Mrs. White that was able to induce a substantial number of people to improve their diet. In the third place, one can only speculate about the large number of sufferers during the past 20th past century who could have, been improved, could have had improved health if they accepted the teachings of Mrs. White. Finally, one can wonder how to make her teachings more widely known, in spite of the fact that the works of Mrs. White were written long before the advent of modern scientific nutrition. Watch what he says. No better overall guide is available today. Now, what is so remarkable, he had one last doctrinal student, one last doctrinal student who studied underneath him, who he led and shaped into the study of nutrition. And it was none other than T. Colin Campbell the author of the China study. And the China study kept the best-selling book ranked for several months. This man was his last doctrinal student, and he led him into a study of natural health and healing because he himself was changed by those writings. In fact, what is so interesting, he is the primary presenter in the book, Forks Over Knives, which has the spirit of prophecy fingerprints all over it. Amazing, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, what is so interesting is that these, this book has influenced people from Bill Clinton all the way to Mike Tyson as well to go vegan. And essentially, this was the primary findings, which is basically what you read in studies on councils on diets and foods. People who ate the most animal-based foods got the what? Most chronic diseases. People who ate the most plant-based foods were the healthiest and tend to avoid chronic disease. These results could not be ignored. And here are certain individuals that were impressed and inspired by those writings. Now I'm going to pick up a little bit because I know we're past our time. Nathan Pritikin, he was also somebody who was well-known in the health world because during his time that he was understanding health, he came across those writings as well. And none of these people became Seventh-day Adventists, but they were so touched by these magnificent writings on health, it revolutionized their own research, then it laid the foundation for the modern-day health movements that we have today. This was an interview he had with some Seventh-day Adventists. Mr. Pritikin, your ideas of nutrition and health are quite similar in many respects to those of Seventh-day Adventists. Are you aware of the Adventist health writings, many of which are more than a century old? Look what he says. You mean the writings of Ellen G. White? Yes. What we call our health message is largely based on her counsel. I have read all her books dealing with health topics. Have you? Rebuke. Would you care to comment on the concept she presents, which we Adventists unfortunately have not observed as closely as we should? Look what he says. I feel that if you Adventists have followed the teachings in these books, you would have been a much healthier group. I think that the Adventist dietary plan is very, very close to our nutritional recommendations. It was marvelous that this woman was able to write all that she did without any real scientific background. Well, of course, we believe she was inspired. She had to have been inspired. I don't know how she could have gotten this information herself. She certainly did a tremendous job for her time. And look what he says. As Adventists, we believe that God is the creator of our bodies and that we have not just evolved and that our bodies are priceless and wonderful mechanisms. Only a mastermind could have planned all the intricate workings of it. The body is a wonderful machine that no one understands completely. And look what he says when he sums it all up right here. Nathan Pritikin said, Of... The Pritikin diet, 1979, I think if you want to get to the originator of the proper diet, look what he says, you have to go back to Ellen White. She laid the guidelines that are unfortunately are not being adhered to as strictly as they should be. Amazing. Do you know he had one student also, 
Dr. John McDougall. And if you know anything about Dr. John McDougall, you'll know that he wrote many books. Not a Seventh-day Adventist, but he was so influenced by Pritikin, he began study and research of health and nutrition that led him to write many of these books, including The Starch Solution that has revolutionized health concepts in the world today, ladies and gentlemen. And look what this is. Have you ever seen this documentary, Fat, Sick, and Nearly Dead? about a man who was actually very overweight, obese, and diabetic. He actually went on a juicing diet, I believe it was for 50 to 60 days, and that documentary records everything that he went through. What is so amazing, this man is not a Seventh-day Adventist, but he had two forms of inspiration to come across or to make this documentary. Dr. Joel Furman and Dr., or not Dr., but who's the young man that's in the corner? Jack Lane. Dr. Joel Furman Number one, quotes from more Adventist studies than any other entity group in all his studies of natural health and healing. And Jack Lane was not a Seventh-day Adventist, but he was the son of a Seventh-day Adventist. You know how I know that? Do you remember your former senior pastor? What was his name? Keith Mulligan. His mom attended Keith Mulligan's church. And he would see her every single Sabbath in the back. And occasionally, Jack Lane would show up there too as well. And this laid the foundation for Jack Lane to start going into health and studying out these concepts which led him to become a health guru that revolutionized juicing for this world. In fact, what is also so interesting, do you know what that is, ladies and gentlemen? That's not cardboard. What is that, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, it's a garden burger. You ever eaten a garden burger before? Now, many of us don't know where the garden burger comes from. It just kind of magically appeared in the potluck one day, right? It was not developed by a Seventh-day Adventist. It was developed by a man by the name of Paul Wenner. And Paul Wenner is a partner with Paul C. Bragg, a Bragg's amino, right? And in his biography, he actually writes how he began to study at health and begin to even produce the veggie burger. And this is exactly how it states on, in his biography on his website. Take a look at this. Paul Wenner, I really haven't had any health problems since I was 17. When I was about 16 or 17, I started reading books on health and nutrition like Paul Bragg's The Miracle Fasting and Ellen B. White. That's exactly how he writes it on his website. Ellen B. White. He misquoted her, but that's all right. A writer for the Adventist Church. I started realizing that there was a real connection between what you put in your mouth and what you did not put in your mouth between your health and how you felt. So I immediately changed everything about my diet. Ladies and gentlemen, do you see how we can connect with the rest of the world? And the health message is designed to lead people and point people back to Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Here's some other pictures. This took place last year. Ellen White was actually honored by the government of Brazil because of all the stuff that she talked about of healing, of family, of religion, about finances, in every facet of life. Even the Brazilian government honored her and put her a picture and information about her in one of the prestigious Brazilian universities. Do you know what Operation White Coat is? Some of you know what Operation White Coat is, but what is it? I'm going to tell you a true story. I actually got this book not too long ago. It was called 63 Government Documents the Government Doesn't Want You to Know About. It's actually documents that were re declassified recently. That's all it were. It was just a book about declassified government documents, and that was what took place. One day, I got the book, didn't read it for several months. I decided to pick it up, and the first thing I read was a declassified document about Seventh-day Adventists. You know what I did? I closed the book, and I was like, who's watching me? That's what I really thought. I went online, found the rest of the document, and what it was was a congregational hearing, a document that was recently declassified, and it described human experimentation that was done during Vietnam War. And what it was, was that the U.S. government targeted Seventh-day Adventists for two primary reasons. Number one, because they were patriotic. And number two, because they were extremely healthy. And they tested vaccines on them, biological warfare, and they tested fevers and all sorts of things on them. There was over 2,200 of them that were tested on, ladies and gentlemen. Some of them never came back the same. They never came back the same. In fact, what is so interesting, these were some of the things that are no longer in existence because 
of the testing that was done on Seventh-day Adventists right here. And what this is very, this is very interesting for us to understand because this is not talked about a lot of times in the church, ladies and gentlemen, but the contribution that was made during Operation White Coat has led to several things not affecting our world today. In fact, watch what one doctor says right here. Um, approximately 2,300 Seventh-day Adventist Army veterans served as white coat volunteers. The effects of the program, look what he said, have been felt from the remote jungles of Latin America to the desert sands of the Middle East to the reaches of outer space, said doctors in the book for God and Country, Operation White Coat. Ladies and gentlemen, when you begin to see the effect that the health message has had upon Seventh-day Adventists, it did not just affect this world, it affected, excuse me, it not just only affected Adventism, but affected the entire world itself. And this is a contribution. Part of the ministry of Christ would that he would not only bring preaching truths, but he would bring healing to this world as well. And we find that encapsulated in this message. You have individuals like Blue Zone in the recent sort of uh, wave of health studies. You have people with the National Geographic that are looking at Seventh-day Adventists and saying, what is so different about these people? Why are they living longer? Why are they being more consecrated? Why is this church going? And it's not because of who we are. It's because of who Jesus is. Can you say amen to that? But God is blessing us so we could be a blessing to this world. Amen? And this is the time that God is calling us to spread this message, to lead people to a closer walk with Jesus. To a closer walk with Jesus. And this message comes, ladies and gentlemen, because I believe God is calling us to start studying those writings again. To take a good look at those things. And say, Lord, where is this an area in my life that I could improve on? Maybe I need to commit myself to start studying more. Maybe I need to just start reading and spending more time with Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, you will find your own life begin to be transformed by what the Spirit of God does. It is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that is behind us, ladies and gentlemen. And when we're laying it aside, we are rejecting what the Spirit of God is trying to communicate to us in these times. God is calling us. He is calling for us to make a commitment, a commitment to Him, to be open to His ways. And it's only through His way, ladies and gentlemen, that we are led to heaven. Amen? These are the times that God is calling His people to consecrate themselves in focus, in study, to come and just repurpose and say, Lord, help me to find out what you have for me in this time. Help me to shape my life to what the Spirit of God wants, not what I want. I want your will, Lord, not my will. Amen? Ladies and gentlemen, over and over again, God is opening up special opportunities for his people to make a change to bring health and healing to this world that people could be led to Jesus. And now is this time. This is the time that God is calling us. Some people say, how do I use those writings? Simple principles, ladies and gentlemen. Always with prayer, amen? Read those books. You'll be blessed by them. When you're reading them, always be aware of the context. Always be aware that the conclusions must line up with Scripture. If they don't, you're not understanding things right. Study with Scripture. And as you're reading these things in the Spirit of Prophecy, search them out in the Scripture and see the beautiful biblical principle expanded. Always allow these things to interpret themselves and discern the meaning, the principle behind these writings. The reason I bring this up, ladies and gentlemen, I believe God is calling us to be balanced. There are some who don't want anything to do with these writings. They're missing a blessing. But then there are some of those who, on the other hand, who are using those writings and causing more negativity for these writings. Ladies and gentlemen, God is calling us to be balanced. Look what she says right here. Let the testimonies, Ellen White's writings, speak for themselves. Let not individuals gather up the very strongest statements given for individuals and families and drive these things because they did not, they want to use the whip and have something to drive. God wants us to use these writings in a way to attract people to Jesus. Can you say amen to that? You might have been somebody who have had a bad experience, but ladies and gentlemen, take a good look for what the prophet is saying herself right here. 
that that's not the way she wanted those writings to be used. Not as a hammer, as a whip. And I just apologize on behalf of any Seventh-day Adventist that has abused those writings to you. God is calling us not to neglect what his spirit is saying to us. God is calling us to discover Jesus once again. To see him for who he really is. And your spiritual life will grow, ladies and gentlemen. Your life will be blessed as you do these things. God is calling you. The Bible says, quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Don't despise it. The Bible says, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall what? Do you want to prosper, ladies and gentlemen? How many people want to say, Lord, I want to start again. I want to start reading these things and I want you to bless me. Raise your hand if that's your desire. Praise the Lord. God will bless you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know ourselves to be weak people, God. But Father, we are praying that our hearts will be open to the Spirit of God. That we wouldn't reject what you are saying to us. But God, as we grow deeper and more with you, lead us, God, step by step to heaven. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.